Can I invite you to please turn back to 2 Kings chapter 6? I say turn back because we, uh, we looked at the, the first 23 verses of this chapter last week, and we, we thought about these two things, uh, floating axe heads and the ability to see properly, this ability to see the bigger picture that comes by prayer and through prayer. And then we finished off last week by kind of reflecting on and, and just touching on the amazing grace of God. And the, the enemies of Israel were led to Samaria by Elisha, you might remember if you were here. But instead of those enemies of Israel being killed in Samaria, which was what they would have expected, it was what they would have deserved, they were actually given a great feast. Instead of a bloodbath, there's a banquet. And they're all sent back to Aram intact and well-fed. And that, as we said last week, that is grace. And for a while, if you look at the end of verse 23 there, the Arameans, they decide to give Israel a break, and so they don't send any more raiding parties into Israel to wreak havoc. So grace has been received, and grace has now been extended. But in verse 24, and this is where we're going to pick it up today, the situation changes dramatically. The king of Aram, Ben-Hadad, he launches another offensive and he lays siege to Samaria, which was the royal capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. You see, the outrageous grace of Elisha and his God appears to have run its course. It was welcomed for a while, yes, but then eventually it, it's overlooked, it's, it's forgotten, and that can happen. You can discover and you can experience at some point in your life the grace of God, and you're incredibly grateful for it, but then over time you lose sight of it and you go back to living and behaving as you once did before. And Well, the Arameans are right there. They're in that place. Grace had been received, grace had been extended, and then grace had been forgotten. And so they have besieged Samaria. And let's read now what happens next. And, and some of this is quite disturbing. But before we do read, let me highlight something about this current situation. Because way back in Deuteronomy, and some of you will know this, but way back in Deuteronomy, Israel had been warned that if they didn't obey God, if they did not follow his ways, then nations would come against them. And let me quote a verse from Deuteronomy. This was what was going to happen if they chose to do their own thing, go their own way. To quote Deuteronomy, it says that nations will lay siege to all the cities throughout your land. They will besiege all the cities throughout the land the Lord your God has given you. And so as we fast forward to 2 Kings chapter 6, those days have come. Israel and, and most of her kings had done their own thing. They disobeyed God. They compromised their worship. And so this siege that we now read about, that was predicted. It was all part of the natural consequences of ignoring God's word. And it stands as further proof that what God says happens. It comes to pass which, as we're about to see, is, is another one of the major discoveries and lessons to learn and take away from the next episode. God is 
true to his word. He always has been, and he always will be. So please, as we always do, let's stand for the public reading of God's dependable and guaranteed word. The words will be on the screen. This is 2 Kings 6. We're starting at verse 24. We're going to take it right through to verse 2 of chapter 7. Sometime later, grace has now been forgotten. Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and led siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, Help me, my lord, the king. The king replied, If the Lord does not help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor, from the wine press. And then he asked this woman, What is the matter? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give up your son that we may eat him today. And tomorrow we'll eat my son So we cooked my son and ate him. And the next day I said to her, Give up your son so that we may eat him. But she had hidden her son. And when the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes. And as he went along the wall, the people looked and they saw that under his robes, he had sackcloth on his body. And he said, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha of Shaphat remains on his shoulders today. Now, Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders of Israel were sitting with him. And the king sent a messenger ahead, but before he arrived, Elisha said to the elders, don't you see how this murderer is sending someone to cut off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's footsteps behind him? And while he was still talking to him, the messenger came down to him. The king said, this disaster is from the Lord. Why should we wait for the Lord any longer? Into verse 7, Elisha replied, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a seah of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha, but you will not eat any of it. Grab a seat. You see, there there are always consequences of war. There are always tragic victims of conflict. And so, in a city that is under siege, food supplies are affected and prices go through the roof and people are forced to eat just about anything. So here in Samaria, a donkey's head, which as many of you will know, was seen by these people as an unclean animal. But a donkey's head, which had very little meat on it anyway, it was sold for the equivalent of 80 days' wages plus dove dung was trading for a small fortune. Life in Samaria was grim, like really grim. 
And as I've often said, we, we sometimes are guilty. I'm guilty. You, you read these stories and you just rush past these points. And you don't actually just stop and pause and think, like, what must it have been like? And if that's not bad enough, then this next insight reveals the true horror because the king of Israel, he's out walking around his besieged city whenever this woman cries out for help and she wants justice. But the circumstances are horrendous, they're traumatic. These two mums have agreed that if, that if we're going to survive, we're going to need to eat our sons. And so we'll eat one son one day and we'll eat the other son the next day. Here are mothers reduced to cannibalism. And on day one, they had done that. But on day two, the second mom hides her son, and so they can't kill him, and they can't eat him. And the first mom cries out to the king, I need you to intervene. I need there to be justice done. My son's been eaten. Shocking. And the thing is, we have no idea what happens next. Like, I don't want to know. But we have no idea what happened in that situation. But the king, having heard this, is in complete despair. And so he rips his robes. And it reveals that he's been wearing sackcloth underneath his robes. And so the situation must be really bad. But rather than genuinely repent, rather than take a long, good, hard look at himself, the king's in the mood for murder. And so he vows to decapitate Elisha. And you read this story and you think, what has Elisha done? Surely, like, given if you were here last week, given what happened in the first 23 verses of 2 Kings chapter 6, where Elisha had led the enemy army right into the city of Samaria. And as a result of him doing that and feeding them and sending them away well fed, as a result of that, the raiding stopped in Israel by the enemies of Israel. So surely, why is Elisha the capital city's most wanted man? Is he not the only one who actually might be able to help? Is he not the king's greatest asset as opposed to his greatest liability? Well, have a look at verse 33. Because here's the king's take. Here's the king's perspective. All this misery is from the Lord. Just take that in for a moment. All this misery the eating the donkey's head, the eating the dove dung, the cannibalism that we are experiencing as a society, it's all the Lord's fault. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So the king of Israel just blames God for everything. And pr presumably, and you can read into this, but presumably Elisha had told him to wait which is why he says, why should I wait any longer, Elisha? King's patience has ran out. And so what's the time to do? It's always time to kill the messenger. When you don't like what God says, just dismiss his word and go after the spokesperson. Blame God, dismiss his word. Do you ever do that? Do you ever do that? Do you ever find yourself in a tough place? And I, I know lots here and many that we know are in tough places at the moment. But do you ever find yourself in a tough place and you're up against it? And let's be honest, you start pointing fingers and you start denying truth. You doubt God and you question his word. 
Well, the king of Israel certainly did. But the question is, where is Elisha at this point? He's now the capital city's most wanted. The king has vowed to decapitate him. Where is Elisha? Well, look at verse 32. This is brilliant. He's at home, sitting with the elders of Israel, and then get this, he is fully aware of what's going on. And so he turns around to the elders, sitting in his front room of his house, and he says, do you know something? There's been a contract killer dispatched to cut off my head. And therefore, I want you to keep the door shut. And by the way, the murderer, that is the person who has ordered the execution that is the king. He is following shortly. And any minute now, you're going to hear his footsteps following in the footsteps of his assassin. And the question is again, how did Elisha know that? Like, how did Elisha know this? Well, again, if you were here last week, and have a look up at verse 12, if you weren't here last week, it turns out that Elisha was fully aware of every word that the king of Aram spoke. Do you remember this? He even knew every single word that the king of Aram said in where? In his bedroom. And so, (laughs) discovering that Elisha has been given a heads up about the king's desire to take his head off is no great surprise. So how does Elisha respond? How does Elisha respond to the king's blame game? Well, he does what he often does, what his predecessor did. He shares the word of the Lord. So look at verse 1 of chapter 7. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Now, that has been a phrase. If you have tracked this Game of Thrones series one, season one and season two with us for the last number of months, you will know that this is a familiar phrase. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the word of the Lord says. You need to sit up. and You need to pay attention and you need to listen carefully to this. So he says, about this time tomorrow, this is, this is God speaking. About this time tomorrow, a seah of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two seahs sh- of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. In other words, in 24 hours, things are going to change. There's going to be a marked improvement. Prices are going to come down. There's going to be some relief. And even though you're still going to have to pay something, let's be honest, flour and barley are a lot better than donkey's heads and dove dung. God has spoken. God's word has intervened. Deliverance has been promised. And because this is what the Lord says, you can guarantee this is going to happen. So how did people react to that? Having heard the word of God, what's the response? Well, look at verse 2. The king's officer, he immediately mocks the word of the Lord. Look, he says, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? If any of you are using Peterson's uh, personal paraphrase translation of the Bible, the message, this is the way he captures it. You expect us to believe that? Trap doors opening in the sky and food tumbling out? You see, the word of God is treated with derision and contempt. And whenever you mock the prophetic word, you mock the Lord. 
Whenever you mock the prophetic word of God, you mock the Lord. And so look at how Elisha responds. And this sounds incredibly ominous. He says to this king's officer, you're going to see it. You're going to see it with your very eyes. But you're not going to eat any of it. See, when God speaks, you either believe it or you don't. You either accept it or you reject it. You embrace it or you ridicule it. But what you've got to bear in mind is that both responses solicit repercussions. Believe it and you'll be blessed, delivered, saved, rescued. Doubt it, ridicule it, mock it, reject it, and you could be in deep trouble. So the question then is, will this word of God come true? Will these trap doors open? Well, then the scene shifts in verse 4. Now, we didn't read it, so I'm just going to tell you what happens next. Please do follow it if you've got a copy of God's Word in front of you. But the scene shifts. It's all connected, but... And it moves to four lepers, four outcasts who are sitting at the city gates. And they know they're going to die if they keep sitting there. But the problem is they know they're going to die if they go into the city because of the famine. And so they decide to take a risk. They decide to make a run for the enemy camp to surrender and to see what happens. Because they think to themselves, we've got nothing to lose. If we stay put, we're dead. And so off they go. But when they get to the fringes of the enemy camp, look at this, verse 6. They realize it's vacant. There's no one there. And we discover why. Because it says, For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. Here we discover God is at work. Here we are back to discovering that angel armies are in action again, as they were last week. The Arameans don't see them. Of course they don't see them. They can't see them. They don't see them, but they hear them. And they think what they hear is the sound of actual armies. And so they run for their lives. And the lepers can't believe their luck or their good fortune or their provision or their deliverance. And so they enter one tent and they eat all around them. That's what it says. And they grab lots of stuff and they cart it off and they hide it and they go back and they enter another tent and they eat all around them and they grab lots of stuff and they go off and hide it. And suddenly, conscience kicks in. They realize that what they're doing can't be right. It isn't right. And here is what they say next, verse 9. This is a day of good news. And we're keeping it to ourselves. This is a day of good news. And we're keeping it to ourselves. And I kind of just want to almost stop there. And if you remember nothing else and hear nothing else, 
of what I say. Just take that phrase away. Take that verse away. Take that thought away. Because this is one of those kind of biblical phrases that stops you in your tracks and forces you to pull back and ponder. This is a day of good news. Literal translation, this is a day of gospel, because that's what gospel means, good news. This is a day of gospel, and we're privatizing it. Four lepers have been saved by the miraculous work of God, blessed beyond their wildest dreams. The enemy has, be, has been overcome and soon did not share that with others. To not proclaim that would be a travesty. And they realize that and off they go to evangelize, which just means to communicate the good news. And you don't need me to make the connections, but you see, whenever we keep our miraculous deliverance from sin and death under wraps, See, when we just keep it to ourselves in that kind of holy huddle that Nathaniel referred to earlier. See, when we just keep it within these four walls or within any four walls, then something is wrong. And our conscience needs to kick in. And the four lepers, they head back to Samaria with good news. And isn't it interesting how God uses unlikely people to carry and share the gospel announcement? Four socially unacceptable outcasts bear the good news. And guess what? King doesn't believe them. And people not believe in the gospel, especially whenever it comes from unlikely sources. It's always been a normal reaction. It's no big shock. But at least in this case, the king decides, I, I, I want to discover more for myself. And so he orders and he dispatches and he sends two chariots, their horses and drivers, to find out what has actually happened. And word comes back to him. You see that good news? It's true. It's right. And then we read this, verse 16. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans, so, a sea of the finest flour sold for a shekel and two seas of barley sold for a shekel. As the Lord had said, the word of God is fulfilled as it always is and always will be. God is faithful to his promises. Deliverance becomes a reality as he predicted. And just to make sure that no one misses the point, verse 18, if you've still got a copy in front of you, virtually repeats verse 16 but to say, listen, this happened exactly as God said it would happen because God is true to his life-giving word. as we bring this to a close, the question is, well, what about that other word? What about that mysterious, ominous word of threat and judgment that was aimed at the king's officer? You know that one about you're going to see, but you're not going to eat. You're going to partake, but you're not, or you're going to observe, but you're not going to partake. Does that come true? And then let me read verse 17. Now the king had put the officer on whose arm he leaned in charge of the gate, that gate where the lepers had sat. But look at what happens next. And the people who are in a rush now out of the city to go to the enemy camp to grab hold of the food that's there, the people trample him 
in the gateway and he dies. So the word of judgment comes to pass as well. And as if to hammer home the the kind of accuracy and the truthfulness and the authenticity of God's word through the prophet Elisha, verse 20 repeats the chilling reality of what happened in verse 17. The one who mocked the word of God, the one who didn't believe the word of God, he's trampled to death. And this stands as, again, another sobering, chilling reminder of the seriousness of rejecting God's word. God has spoken. He's spoken words of provision and words of blessing. He's spoken words of warning and words of judgment. And the question is, are we going to believe them and take them to heart, or are we going to reject them and write them off? And so in conclusion this morning, here's two key thoughts. Second Kings 6 and 7 reminds us yet again about the importance, the power, and the priority of God's Word. And we've showed this slide numerous times throughout this series. What God has said comes to pass. This is as the Lord has said. And as we engage with this and as we read it and as we hear it and as we stand on the authority of it and we apply it to culture and don't allow culture to apply itself to this, as we read it and engage with it, this is a story that reminds us we have got to take this word seriously. Because it all will come to pass. And secondly, 2 Kings 6 and 7 is also a story of divine provision and deliverance, the kind that we have experienced and continue to experience because of Jesus. And the question is, and the question for myself is this, am I sharing that or am I just keeping it to myself? Because one of those options is entirely wrong. This is the day. This is why, as Jillian shared this morning, this is why Operation Children Christmas Child do what they do. This is the day of good news. We cannot, we must not keep it to ourselves.